Let's turn in our Bibles now to Ephesians. Uh, let's go to Ephesians chapter 4, and then we'll go to Ephesians uh, chapter 2. <clears throat> We're looking at some very practical ways to age gracefully and effectively for God. And my greatest desire would be that when this short weekend is done, which it will be done in an hour, that you would determine that the next, the rest of your life will be the best. The rest of your life will be the best. And you will press forward for God. I like to say, be vigorous for God. May the remaining... Tom, may your remaining years be vigorous for God. Don't become a lazy slouch. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 says, And he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds and teachers to equip the saints, to prepare the saints for the work of ministry or the work of service so that all the saints will build up the body of Christ. Jim Elliot said, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. So our fifth point, our fifth point is seek to actively Serve others. Seek to actively serve others. We were made to serve. Just like I said to you, physically, you are made to stand upright. Not to sit all day. You are made to walk and to use your arms and to use your brain, to use your body. God wants it to be used. Use it or lose it. It's not in the Bible, but it's true. Use it or lose it. You were made to serve others. All of life is spent serving others. Now, sometimes we get tired of it and you need a little break. There's nothing wrong with a break and there's nothing wrong with rest. God gives us rest. He gives us rest every night, gives us usually a day off at least in a week. Sometimes we take a couple weeks off. That's a good thing. But, you know, even and we just have some friends who are going on vacation. They're, They're leaving Sunday. They won these trips and it's all paid for by their company. They're going on vacation. They're very excited. They're going to Hawaii. Seven days all paid for. So, I like to spoil people's time. So, I said, you know, you're going to go seven days to Hawaii. I want you to have a good time. But you can either come back exhausted or you can come back recharged and refreshed. And I said, the way to do that is get up early in the morning and meet with God. Every morning. Go out on the beach and meet with God. Go to a quiet place and meet with God. Open your Bible and talk to the Lord about what happens when I go home. What am I, what am I going to get while I'm away here in order to refresh myself? I said, you'll come back from your vacation more refreshed if you get a spiritual recharge. So my wife and our vacations, when we had the little children, now we don't have the little children, so it's much easier. But one morning... She would mind the children, and I could get up very early, go to a place, have a couple hours of Bible reading, prayer, and just thinking. Next day, I'd mind the children, stay in bed with them, or whatever they did to tear the place up, and she would go. So even on vacations and rest time, real rest is in the Lord. When you're refreshed in the Lord, or as as George Mueller says, make yourself happy. In the Lord, so that when you come back, you've got fresh visions and fresh energy, and you have reevaluated your life. So we're made to serve. We're made to serve. Look at Ephesians chapter two, verse ten. This is a very interesting text of Scripture. Paul says, "For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works." which God prepared beforehand that we should walk, live step by step, day by day in them. Isn't that interesting? We're his, we're his craftsmanship and we're prepared for good works. He has saved us, not by good works, by the way, just the verse before says you're not saved by works, but we're saved to be zealous for good works as we read in Titus. And look at all the passages on good works. And I think of uh, Galatians 6, 9. Let us not grow weary in doing good. 
So God has prepared for us a life of good works and good deeds and service to others and help to others. It's one of the greatest ways we witnesses witness. Here's some ways we can have a life of good works and good service. First of all, and don't just say this, I'll pray for you. That's the best thing. You Sometimes we, we almost apologize for praying. Well, all I can do is pray. <laughs> I can't think of anything better you can do for people. One way you serve people and serve is through a prayer. And I want to remind you that you're all believer priests. You're all of high status. You're saints unto the holy God. You are now a royal priest. And you have a priestly ministry of intercession for other people. Hope you take that seriously. It's a big job we have. It's a duty we have. Intercession for others. My wife's quite a prayer warrior. And every morning she gets up early and she goes down to her big soft chair and she'll do her Bible reading or Bible study for the ladies group. And then she spends almost an hour in prayer every morning. And I always tell her, honey, that is your work. And she's been having a lot of physical problems lately. It's very discouraging in one way. But it doesn't, thank God, and most times it doesn't affect her prayer ministry. And I always say to people, you get on a prayer list, you're, you're, you're going to be prayed for regularly for other people. It's a wonderful ministry. It's a work for God. It's a great work for God. Now, here's another ministry. Everyone, you ever have people say, uh, I don't know what to do for the Lord, right? You know, I don't know what to do. Oh, I want to hit him in the head like that. But I try to be uh, conservative and not hit too many people. But anyway... People say, I don't know what to do for the Lord. Well, here's something everyone could do for the Lord. Well, first of all, you have a prayer ministry. Start that right away. Get the church directory. And every day, do a couple names and go down through your church directory. There, that's the first thing you do for the Lord. Now, here's another thing you do for the Lord. Do for the Lord's people. Anyone can do it. How many of you here have a phone? Raise your hand. Oh, everyone has a phone here. Wow, that's something. We used to use Homer pigeons. But anyway, we're... You, you don't have a phone? No phone. Do you, do you uh, use Homer pigeons? I mean, no? Send the pigeons out with a note? No? Okay. All right. You're probably a, quite a sane man because you don't have a phone. My phone rings all day. But anyway, here's something my wife and I do every day. We talk about who gets phone calls today. So I'll give her a couple names. I'll take some minutes. So every day we make just an encouraging phone call. And she's a great help to me like this. I don't, I'm not an elder anymore. I don't, no one's paying me to do this. Do you know why I do it? Anyone know why I do it? Well, love the Lord, right, and love his people. No one needs to pay you to love the Lord's people and care for the Lord's people or serve the Lord's people. Oh, you don't know how rich I am. The Lord's no man's debtor, Robert. You know, Robert and I, We've been in the same church in New York, right? Know the same people there. Knows Pine Bush Bible Camp. So every day we do phone calls. And sometimes when I'm traveling like this, I'll, I'll do a couple phone calls. And I'll tell you, people are very much touched. Very touched. One of our elders, five times or four times a year, has to go to China for business. I don't know how he does it. It's terrible flights. He will call from China. People are sick. And I can tell you, people have been called by Tom Sorensen and go... I can't believe from China he took the time to call me. Just a short phone call. You don't have to be long. And you just say, brother, thinking about you, particularly if they're in the hospital, going through a hard time. Anyone can do this ministry. All you need is a telephone and some telephone numbers. Take your church. You have a church directory, don't you? That church directory should, mine is torn to shreds. I keep it right by my desk for phone calls, for prayer, for uh, for whatever I need. And it's your way of serving the saints. God has made us to serve. And cards. Oh, a little card. And always put a scripture text. I remember uh, visiting one of the brothers in our assembly. He was, it was a terrible, terrible situation. His wife had died for cancer. And he was dying of cancer. Oh, it was a painful, painful death. So one day I come in to visit this brother. And he's removed everything from the wall. He's removed much of his furniture. He has a big, gigantic, easy chair. The only thing he can sit in comfortably. And it faces this empty wall, which he put hundreds of cards on. So I came in and I said, Pat, what are you, what are you doing? 
Now his wife's dead, so he can rearrange the house. And when his wife's alive, you can't do that. You know, you won't let you do it. But anyway, he, he's a, a widower, so he has the whole wall full of cards. I said, what, what are you doing? He said, I have to sit here anyway. I look at all these cards. All those cards are people who love me and are praying for me. And many of those cards I have read over and over again. A card to a person suffering or in the hospital or going through a traumatic experience is such a great encouragement. Always put a scripture text. In fact, you should have a couple key texts that you use all the time. I'm going to give you one in just a moment that you can use all the time. It means a lot to people. Helping people with some of their, uh, particularly seniors with home responsibilities or physical labor. We try to get our young people to serve others. You know, young people are tremendously selfish. Look in the mirror all day. They're trying to figure themselves out. Send them out to work. That's the best thing for them. Get them to camp all summer. And uh, we try to get them to go over as a group and do leaves in the fall. And in the winter, get out there and do, do the shoveling, the snow. Let them learn to serve other people except sitting around all day and feeling their own pulse. Camp work. Awana work. Uh, I want to remind you, we're all Great Commission Christians. We all have a Great Commission. Helping with our missionaries is a work you can do. Visiting the mission field, writing the uh, phone calls to them, whatever it is. We had a lady in our church. She died at 97. What a lady. She came from Ireland, never married in her life. And she was um, a maid all her life, a maid. And you would think, well, a maid, what could they have for money? Well, she was an Irish woman and never spent a dime. She lived in people's homes, never spent a dime, literally. And ate at other people's expense, cleaned their homes, stayed in homes. Well, this lady, for like 60 years, was saving all her money, putting in mutual funds and all. We didn't know any of this, you know. So anyway, when she officially retired from being a maid or a housekeeper, she said to the elders, you must put me to work now. Because she loved to work. For over 10 years, this lady cleaned our chapel, which is a big building. She'd, she'd do it all week, you know, do a little bit this time, a little bit this time. She saved us a lot of money by doing all the cleaning. Then, at night, when she'd go home, she'd serve the missionaries, write letters, do whatever we needed done for our missionaries. The work, and oh, it gets worse. She would come to our home and do all the ironing for Marilyn and do clean my shoes like Robert Chapman and whatever help we needed on Sundays when we'd have our company, she'd do all the cleanup. What a lady, I'll tell you, when she died. Oh, Lord, could you provide four more people like this? Amazing what she did. Well, all these years she saved this money. And so we're building a new building, and uh, you get in trouble usually financially, not really. I get, oh, we need this, we need that. So one day she comes to me and says, now listen, what do we need? I said, Maggie, we need a, a lot. She says, I'll give you the money for this. She's been saving all these years. So she buys a piano and buys an organ, buys all the carpeting and all this stuff. And we're sitting here going, we didn't even know she had a dime. A real servant. A real servant. You know, she wasn't happy unless she was serving. And what I learned from Maggie is that we could all put out a lot more work. It's amazing when a person focuses on serving others. I just have to tell you one more story, then I'll move on. But there was a brother who retired from the post office. And he retired pretty young in his 50s. And... Um, so one day I said to him, I said, Bruce, he wasn't married. And uh, I said, Bruce, could you take me to the airport? Because sometimes I have to leave like four in the morning to get a six o'clock plane. I said, would you take me? He said, okay. He's my wife having to get up that early. So he picks me up. He just retired. And so I like to ask this question to all retired people. I said, now, Bruce, what are you going to do with your life? We said, I, you know, I really haven't thought about it. I'm just very happy to be retired. I said, tell me your, your daily schedule. Well, as I get up, whenever I get up, and uh, I said, have you been doing exercise? No, no, I'll get to it because the postman did a lot of exercise. I said, how much are you doing? You're oh, I'm really not doing good. I said, all right, Bruce. You're going to meet with me when I get back from this trip because you're going to waste your retirement. I can see it right now. You're undisciplined. You're just floating. So, when I get back, we meet for lunch, and I said, now, Bruce, you're going to ruin your life. You're going to waste it. You, you could have 30 more years easily. 
I say, get up at the same time every day. Seven, eight, whatever you want. Six, whatever. Just set the clock and you get up or you'll get undisciplined. Second thing is, the first thing when you get up, I allowed him to make some coffee. I said, all right, make some coffee. Then, people listening to the tape don't understand the higher spiritual things we're talking about. Then I said, Bruce, then you spend one hour with God every morning. You've got the whole day, one hour with God. And you get to really like that, then you can uh, put it up more time. Then, you go on a, a brisk walk, and you get out, and you exercise, or you'll fall apart. Because he had been a postman, he had been exercising, and those kind of people really fall apart fast, because they're breaking the cycle of what they're living with. Now I said, you need a ministry. God made you to serve others. You need a ministry. I want you to pray about a ministry in the assembly. You've got a lot of time. This would be a great help. Now, I do this to any retired person in our church. I mean, so he says, I'd like to have senior ministry. I said, that's great. We need seniors called. We need them brought to Wednesday morning. We have seniors uh, Bible study. I said, you could be a great help. Be there at seniors because you don't work now. You can be there and you can be uh, transporting people. There's so much you can do. So he gets involved in seniors ministry. And he's loving it. And then he winds up serving in many other ways in the church. So that year, the church falls in love with him because he's just there as a servant to serve. He does not know this, but he's got cancer. And he doesn't know it. He's only got another year and a half or two years to live. He doesn't know this. So it's a long story of how he died. It's an amazing thing. He gets up before the congregation and tells me, you're not going to see me anymore. I'm dying of cancer. And... Well, the Lord gave him another whole year. He back regular, went into complete remission. And uh, so at the end of that year, it looked like he was going down again. So he gets up before the congregation. I'm sorry, it's the last Sunday. I'm going to be here. Everyone's crying. Not going to see me again. About a month later, cancer goes into remission again. Because he's back again. People go, hey, don't, don't announce you're going to die. You're, you're having a hard time dying. So... He gets another, almost a whole year. During this year, he is serving our assembly in many ways. And, of course, the people are loving him to death. And the third time he went down, somehow he knew this was the end. He died. But he said to me before he died, and he died in our home because he was single, and they wanted to put him in a VA hospital way north in Denver. No one would get to him. We're only blocks from the chapel. I said, no, you're going to come to our house. That way people can come see you and have a lot of visitors. So when he said, anyway, he says this to me. These last two years have been the best of my life. Why didn't I do this before? Single? Not really serving others. See, we're made to serve others. God, God built it into us. You cannot be satisfied serving yourself. No way. If you are, you're deluded somehow. There's another way we serve God as we get older. And it's a more important way than you realize. Is called generation building. Not only do we serve others, but we build the next generation. Listen to what King David says. Psalm 71, 18. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation and your power to all those to come. In other words, David says, you're going to protect me into old age. And in old age, I'm going to proclaim to the people to come, the next generation, who you are and what you have done. Some have called this moving from aging to saging, where you become a sage. In other words, you in old age have life experience. Maybe you've had a job where you've had to deal with a lot of people and deal with money or, or deal with heavy responsibility. You have knowledge and wisdom and, and you have life experience in, in, in other areas. And, and too often we don't realize that experience with the Lord and with life got to be passed on to the next generation. Moving from aging to saging. Listen, the, uh, Titus 2.4 says of the women that would apply to the men. Older women are to teach what is good and to train younger women to love their husbands, no easy job, and children, and to be self-controlled, 
pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their husbands, that the word of God may not be uh, reviled. In other words, ladies have a job to pass on to the next generation what they've learned about being a wife, being a mother, being a pure Christian woman. Same thing with men. I think we don't understand our own influence. You have influence. You have presence. But you're not using it. You do have something to share with others. Share it. Be an example to others. It's a very important ministry and a needed ministry. You ever thought of, let's see, you're 20 years old, right? 20 years old. Here's the point. Come up here. Hurry. Hurry. I don't have a lot of time. Come on. Hurry. Hurry. Come on. Come on. Come on, puppy. Come on. Look at this. Fine young man. Look at that. Fine young man. You ever think of taking him to lunch? Where do you go to lunch? Where do you like to go to lunch? Don't say McDonald's. Go someplace a little higher. I go to Cafe Brazil with Mr. Watson back over there. All right. Who do you go with? Who? Mr. Watson. Hi, Mr. Watson. You take him to lunch? You pay? He doesn't have the money yet. Look, he's poor. You can tell. Look, this is a t-shirt. That's all he's got. You got money in there? Okay. Uh, do you like it when he takes you to lunch? Yeah, I love it. Do you think he has anything to teach you? Yeah, a lot. A lot? Yeah. Okay. Now, King David said, In my old age, do not forsake me, because I have to proclaim the things of the Lord to this generation. And we, we think, oh, young people, they don't care about us. We're too old. We're decrepit. We're dying, right? But no, they do. There is a natural thing in young people to see older people as role models and examples and to learn from them. We're not taking the advantage. It's our problem. We're not getting young guys like this. I want to take you to lunch. We'll go to a nice lunch. I want you to give me at least an hour and a half, though, okay? So we have time together. And we're going to talk about you and what you're doing and how what, what you're doing in school and uh, your ministry for the Lord and what, what gifts do the Lord give you? And uh, are you having Bible? Uh, you're probably really busy, right? You think you're really busy, probably, right? Yeah, of course. All students think they're busy, but they're not that busy. Do you have time for Bible reading? You do? Good, man. Good. Okay. I'm going to pass on to the next generation something I've learned. So I've got a couple guys like this. I just enjoy being with them so much. And when they get the message that I'm actually trying to take stuff out of my head and put it in his head, then that's a very special time. In fact, the one man who took me to the airport when I came here, I said, you come pick me up at 8 o'clock. We'll go out to a nice breakfast. I treat, and you get me to the airport, okay? And so I said to him something to this effect. Don't you understand I'm trying to take what's in here and put it in your head, in my heart, in your heart? And he's getting it. Now, if I see that people don't get it, they just want breakfast all the time, uh, then let them pay for it themselves. Okay. <laughs> You're giving lectures? Very good. That's your job. That's your job. So I'm saying to you, we are born to serve others. We're born to be volunteers and look for jobs. Now, sometimes we need something done in the assembly and we'll, we'll make an announcement and I notice people will put their head down. Please don't look at me. No, you should put your hand up and say, yeah, I can do that. I can add that. Isn't it interesting? If you want something done, ask a busy person. Then you got these people that are retired. And if you can get them to come to church, you're lucky. God's lucky. They come to church. They've got the time. But they got into bad, bad habits. And the bad habits are laziness, which isn't is a moral issue, according to Proverbs. All right, six now, six. So we're born to serve. And don't forget, one of the ways we serve is passing to the next generation. Six, seek God's perspective on life's problems and eternal glory. Let's read this great verse. And now here's a verse you can put in a card. I use this verse regularly, regularly, when I deal with people suffering in the hospital, Facing death, we've had several deaths in our church here in the last six months, some new widows. Very hard for them, very hard. Come in and usually cry when you give them a hug on Sunday morning. Get this verse and use it. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. And it actually goes into the fifth chapter. 
Now, you've got a scale. Do you see the, is the scale in your notes? That scale? All right. So, as I'm reading the verse, look at the scale, too. For this light, momentary affliction. Now, notice on the scale, it's momentary, it's light, it's affliction. Now, the scene in this world. Okay? Light, momentary affliction. Is preparing for us, oh, look on the other side of the scale, eternal weight of glory. See the comparison? Actually, there is no comparison. There is no comparison. So the scale would look like this. That's what it would look like. This light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension. Just the verse I quoted to you from 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. As we look not at the things that are seen, but at the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Then you go right into the fifth chapter, which he talks about the intermediate state after death. This tent. He talks about the body as a tent. That's what it is. It's a temporary tent. And um, and the apostle talks about groaning in the spirit. We groan in this tent. I think I saw you groaning before. We groan because there's always problems, always issues. We're never satisfied till we get to heaven. It's not possible. Now, why am I talking about God's perspective on life's problems and eternal glory? Here's why. Because in this time of life, we face sickness, death, numerous problems. The longer you live on this earth, the more sins you see, the more disasters you see, the more chaos you see. Uh, the more uh, frustrated you can get. And so, one way we get through life, and one way we stay happy in the Lord and not become cynics and critical and depressed, is to keep the eternal perspective always before you. Because if you don't keep God's perspective before you, I guarantee you, you will face Serious depression, discouragement, jadedness, cynicism. That's the natural course. There are so many problems. And there are things that will happen to you that you never dreamed would happen to you. I've seen brothers and sisters in our church doing great. And all of a sudden, some physical thing comes. And they can hardly get out of bed. Or their marriage unwinds. Or a child just walks away from the Lord. Well, I never thought this would happen to me. Well, you didn't read Psalm 90 because life's full of trouble. And uh, we fly away very quickly. This is the eternal perspective. You have to have God's eyes. You see, every problem that comes, you've got to know how to view it. It's light. It's momentary. But it's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. It's not even comparable, he says. There's the seen and the unseen. So, one of the ways we Christians face death, face bodily affliction, weakening, terrible troubles, your church can come apart at the seams. I guarantee you. You think your church is secure. You must not have lived this life. The devil could take your church and turn it and bounce it on its head in a minute. I could come back here next year and you had a major church split. Guaranteed. I've seen it many times. We've faced it in our own church. Several times. We've made it through without a church split. But there were some pretty difficult times and people did some pretty bad things. You don't keep God's eyeballs on life and the eternal perspective and it's about perspective, how you view these things. I guarantee you, you will not be gracious and age well effectively for God. You'll be knocked out of the game. And many people get knocked out of the game by discouragement, by problems they can't handle and see right. So, use this verse. So, I'm with Pat. I'm with Pat. He's looking at all his cards up there. Now, I've sent some cards. My wife has sent some cards. And we even have a thing in the back of our church with all our shut-ins with a card, their address, to encourage people to write cards. And our people, it's taken a number of years, but they're really gotten good at this. Sending cards, doing phone calls. You've got to stay on the people because we all get busy and we forget about one another. 
It's called Galatians 6.2, one of the most important verses in the church community. Bearing one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, which is the law of love, or his love for us. To tell Pat, Pat, it's only light. It's only going to be for another few more moments. But it's preparing for you an eternal weight of glory. You've got to see it that way or you'll just, you'll just go down like a wounded deer. Now, number seven. Number seven. Seek to prepare for departing from this life. All right, so you're younger here. Maybe you can take a little rest. Boys, you can take a rest for just a few moments, okay? If you want to listen, you can listen. Because this is going to get really for the older ones, okay? But do what you want. If you need a banana over there, you can eat an orange, whatever. Hey, by the way, you are all doing so well at quarter to two. No one's sleeping. I thought at least a couple of you would go to sleep. Either that or I'm going to have to perform a miracle. I don't know. So, if you're real, real young, take a little break right now. Go out and have a cup of coffee. Do whatever you want. But if you're over 55 and you're over 60, I want you to listen to me very carefully. Because I need many, many Christians who are not prepared to die. They're not prepared. And they leave a mess behind for their kids. You know what the old Puritans used to say? Because they faced a different life than we face today. We don't expect to be dead by the afternoon. We don't expect to be dead by the end of the week because of modern medicine. But in the days of the Puritans, you could wake up in the morning and be healthy and something would happen you'd be dead by the evening. Death was at their door constantly. There is not a family that did not see death with children. In fact, the great John Owen, before he died, saw 11 of his children die before him. We, we can't even imagine this. My grandmother lost three children. Two to disease, one by scalding. That was common. Common. So death was at the door. And the Puritans used to say this. We're packed and ready to go. Packed and ready to go. Are you packed and ready to go? Let's talk about some really practical things. How do you get prepared for, for the landing in heaven? Well, first of all, make sure all your accounts on earth are, are, are brought up to date. Make sure that those people that you've had a fight with people that you've had uh, falling out with, make sure you get those straightened out. Because it will be brought up at the judgment seat of Christ. So, there's maybe people you need to be reconciled with. Relatives, friends. Now, I realize sometimes you, you can't do anything about these relationships. We have some like that where there's nothing we can do. Because uh, it takes two. It takes two to reconcile. And uh, all they want to do is continue to fight. And there is a point in which you go, no more fighting. As much as late... Upon your plate, be at peace with all men. It's interesting. One of my dearest friends I grew up with, we went to church together, 18, he walked away from the Lord. And uh, in his 50s, he got pancreatic cancer. The Lord used that cancer to bring him back. He only had six weeks to live. The Lord gave him over a year to live. And he was gloriously saved. It wasn't just a foxhole salvation. Gloriously saved. And one of the first things he said to me after he was saved is, I've got to get right with my brothers and sisters. I thought, that's a good attitude. Get right with them. He had said terrible things about them, had terrible fights with them. Second thing is, and I'm going to be very practical now, you need an updated will. 70% of people do not have an adequate will. They have a will that's totally outdated and that will not deal, uh, be uh, 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 accepted in court or will cause a lot of problems. Now, I don't want to mention organizations. I will do it privately later if you want. But there are organizations, some of them don't even charge anything, that will help you prepare your estate, uh, prepare a trust. or uh, And there are wonderful things the government has given us, like the, uh, irrevo the revocable living trust. These are marvelous tools where you can pass on your money to your children or grandchildren or your church without any tax or legal things. These are wonderful government provisions for us. Use it for the Lord. Use it for the Lord. There are groups that will help you prepare a proper will so your money is used for God and used for your children properly. So, don't do what so many people do. They just procrastinate. They think they're not going to die. But you will die. Unless the Lord comes, you will die. And don't leave a mess to your children and don't leave them in confusion. 
we've had a service, and we've had it several times, uh, that comes to our church, and anyone who's interested, much of the congregation, they will explain to us what a will is, what a living trust is, and these different things, tools. The government provides us. Don't give the government that money at the end. Give it to the Lord's work. Know what you're doing. Even if it's just a little bit. And they've come and given us a lot of help to our people. So, one of our, at one of these seminars that we had at our church, there was a couple there. He was a medical doctor, but he was a specialist in helping people with drug and alcohol problems. And they would literally exchange your blood or something. It's real technical stuff. And help you get off drugs and or alcohol addiction. There's a specialty, there's own office and everything. Well, when they came to the seminar, they said to us, you know, this is such a great seminar. We actually don't even have a will. We have two children. We have to do this. Well, he procrastinated. And within the year, he dropped dead of some strange heart condition. No will. It took years for her. Years. There were so many complications because he had all this equipment and offices and all this back billing. Oh, and then it was a hold up on the insurance policy. And I, I remember her just saying again and again, this is a disaster. We should have done this. Well, it's, it's too late after you die. So you're responsible to whatever God gives you to be a good steward of it and to pass it on properly for the Lord's work. And then here's one. Here's really simple because I've been through this now four times. Clean out your house. Don't leave this to your children. I call it leaving a big mess behind. So, my father, he's living in New Jersey, dies at 94, and 50 years of junk in the basement in the house. So, we had the funeral on, I think, like Tuesday, right? I have to fly back on Saturday uh, to Denver to be at the church for a very special meeting, so I had to fly back. So, I got about three days to empty out 50 years of junk in the house, which I had pleaded with him to do. Well, he had these beautiful leisure suits from the 50s and shoes, none of them that fit him, you know. And then there were auto parts from our 1957 Buick. You never know when you need something like that. (laughs) Full of this junk in the basement, heavy, heavy stuff and tools and stuff. So I got three days to get this house on the market. I have no truck. I don't know where the dump is. So my neighbor says, the neighbor there goes, Alex, put a big sign out. Put a big sign out. Everything free. So I put a big sign out in the morning. Everything free. Now, we live in a community in New Jersey with hundreds, probably thousands of Indian people. And they've got this system where they bring people in from India, live with them for one year, spin them out. It's unbelievable. In 40 years, they've literally taken over the town. They call it Little India. It's really amazing. And... What's amazing are the children. Because one of my friends teaches in the school system there. Imagine having students that sit there and they are with you and they're going to get A's and B's or they're in real trouble. It's amazing what they've done in 40 years. So, because they have this system of getting furniture and stuff for the next couple coming in or the relative coming in, in one day, they took everything. Knives, forks, napkins, There wasn't a thing left. In one day, I never had to do anything. And I even told them, you've got to bring the stuff up from the basement. I'm not going to help you because some of it's really heavy. Clean the house out one day. Second day, brought all the painters in. Painted the whole inside of the house. Next day, brought the realtor in. Looked at the house. Blah, blah, blah. On the market that day. Next day, I fly out to Colorado. Now, I told my father... There was no reason for this. We could have done this together over a five or six year period. And I was more than glad to come back for a week's time and help him. I did this with my brother. He left everything a mess behind. And my mother-in-law. And I've done it with other people. Don't do that to your children. Clean the junk out. It's junk. Most of the stuff you're all saving is junk. And if it's so valuable, give it to someone. I always say, if in doubt, throw out. If you're not using it, out. Out the door. It's your responsibility to do this. And 
We have seen in our church, and anyone who's been involved with people have seen this, the fighting after someone dies over the money, over things and items. No reason for that. That can all be dealt with long before. So, my point is, don't leave a mess behind. The other thing is, listen to your children. You're going to get to a certain age where you're not going to, unless it's a very rare case, and if you do live long, you probably aren't thinking as good as you should think. So, I've learned a lot about aging from my mother, father, my wife's mother and father, and from my brother who died in his 50s, and, uh, and from people in our church, trying to help them through this very difficult time. It's so important that you listen to someone else. And you know what the Bible says, better was a poor and wise youth to become a king than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. Ecclesiastes 4.13. He did not know how to take advice. There will come a time when you're going to have to take advice from your children. And this is conflicting. And I know. I went, I've gone through it. Gone through it with two sets of parents. And they won't listen to you. Many of them fall into scams. So my father, who all his life was a really a pretty good money manager, he sends $20 into one of these scams. One letter. One letter. Within weeks, we were getting 15 to 20 letters a day. I talked to the local police about this to see if we could stop this. And then he was getting phone calls. Almost every day phone calls. Because I was there in his house and getting, picking up some of them. Terrible people. The bottom of the barrel of human depravity. They're, they're basically scamming older people. And they're looking for people like my dad, who's a widower. The children live far away. They're all alone. And they're targeting them. These are low-life people. I, I went and I talked to the police. They said, this is everywhere. Because his community is an older community. It's a World War II community. They came into the suburbs in their young age, in the 50s. Now they're all older. He said, this is everywhere. We, there's nothing we can really do about it. It's coming from Canada and other places. Because they will not listen, they get scammed. This is big-time stuff, my friends. Big-time stuff. And the scams are getting more and more professional. Even coming to the door. Even coming to the door. So, my dad would call me and he'd tell me something like this. Alex, we've just won $2 million. This, no, this is not a scam. It's not a joke. We've won $2 million. But to get the $2 million... We have to send $2,000 for the armor truck to bring it to our house. <laughs> I could go on and on with stories like this, and I get caught on the phone with these people. They're really bad people. But because older people, our parents, are not listening, they're getting scammed, and uh, this is becoming big, big business. So, you know what they say, there's no fool like an old fool. Don't be a fool. There's a point at which you hand over to your children, if they're honest, not if they're bad people, then you get a brother or an elder or someone in the church to help you. There's a point at which, and with my other parents, my wife's parents, we had to fight the car thing until they finally had an accident. But with my father, for some reason, he handed the car over. He said, I can't drive anymore. I said, thank you, Dad. You shouldn't be driving. You get lost all the time. So these are realities. These are realities. We can't dream of it now, but it can come real fast on you. So, we have this all planned in our family. We have one particular daughter, because of her skill in this area, she's in charge. I've met with all our other three daughters. She's in charge. It's all laid out. Everyone's in agreement. It should be all agreed upon before you're at the point of death. It's all agreed upon. My wife and I, we don't, if we're not using it, it goes out the house. Even my books. Unless I'm using them, I've gotten rid of them, given them to other, other people to use. We are prepared right now. If I get killed in a plane crash or she, we're killed together, um, we're ready to go into action. The children will go into action. There's no mess for them to, uh, to deal with. That's your responsibility with your children. So be prepared for your death. Be prepared not to leave a mess behind. But may people say, blessed be our parents who have done everything right. In our church, over many, many years, I've only seen maybe two couples do it right. And one was Mr. Herb Banks, who I told you about the other day. As, as life aged for him, they moved out of their house. They 
moved to the next place, and now Alice, who's uh, 97, she's moved to a new facility. They've stayed ahead of the aging game. Very few people see that they usually have to be forced out or be sued or taken the court or so. You're just unbelievable. Now, sometimes people completely lose their mind, and at that point, they're, they're not responsible. But get these things done before you lose your mind. And if you think you're losing your mind, get it done immediately. All right. We can end with uh, watching for the pitfalls of aging. Watching for the pitfalls of aging. I'm not going to cover all these because some of them I really picked up on, but there are definite pitfalls in aging. Remember, God made life seasons of life. There are seasons. So, junior high, high school, it's a season of life. It's got its own difficulties, doesn't it? They're trying to figure out who they are. Who, are they handsome? Are they not handsome? Are they likable? Not likable? The identity crisis. How do I fit in with others, my peers? they got all this confusion. And then you grow out of that in your 20s. Well, throughout life, we have seasons of life. Well, let's talk about this last season of life, over 65. It's a, it's a special season of life. Accept it. In fact, studies have shown that if you resist this, It'll be harder for you. It's better to accept. I am now 70 years of age, or I'm 75. I have these limitations. I have new ministry in life. I have new goals in life. You accept that, and then you press forward in this new season of life. Now, this new season of life, and, uh, you know, they used to have categories like, people used to think old age was like 62 and beyond. In surveys done, I told you the other day, when people were asked, what is old age, the majority of people said 75 to 80. That's good, unless you're 74. Old age has moved up. 70 is the new 60. So things have moved up, and now they have a category called old, old age, where people are in their 90s, and many more people going up to 100. You need to know the pitfalls of that season of life, and there are special ones. Young people have their problems that are different than people in their 70s and 80s. But in your 70s and 80s, they're just as real, those problems and those pitfalls. In fact, we say it's so hard for the young people. Well, there's a sense in which that's very true, but it's very hard to get old. When you start losing your health and your strength weights, it is hard. And I've talked to probably hundreds of older people, and they will tell you, this is a very hard stage in life, very hard stage. Be prepared for it. Accept it. Take the right steps. Avoid the pitfalls. And we, just like we would say to junior high and high school kids, do these things and you'll get through these years. Same thing with older, older people. Do these things and it will be easier. But like with young people, older people can be just as rebellious and refuse to listen to wisdom. But we're going to be praying that God will teach us to have a wise heart. Wisdom is the key to aging. All right, real quickly, some of these will just pass over very quickly. Isolation and withdrawal. Don't need to go into this because I already dealt with it. John Gilmore, a Christian man, wrote a book called Ambushed at Sunset. And in this book, he says, the warning to seniors is pulling away from social interaction only to paint themselves into a corner. And once you're in the corner of isolation, it's very hard to get out of it. That's why you need the church and you need the fellowship. You need your children, even if they're loud and your grandchildren and boisterous and they cut up the walls and fall down the stairs and hurt themselves. You need that. This is a very interesting study done by Duke University, a scientific study of more than 1,700 adults, 65 and older. Listen to this. I was very really shocked by this. Found that once a week church attendance produced a healthy influence on the immune system. It's healthy going to church. Don't don't isolate yourself. And when you isolate yourself, that's how these scams are, are, are reproduced, by people alone. You need one another. All right, fear. This is a big one. It's, it's a natural tendency as you get older to be filled with phobias and fears that you didn't have before. I'll give you an example. When uh, my children were, were just were children, 8, 9, 10 years of age, we had a tree in the back of our yard, one of these crab apple trees, and they would climb all in and go. And when my mother would come, they'd sit on the back porch, and my mother would go, Alex, oh, oh, Alex, they're going to be killed, they'll be hurt. Now, I'm, I'm like a man in my 40s, early 40s. Ah, mom, they climb in there all day, and if they fall, they, they're rubber. They don't worry about it. And she's, oh, oh. 
Well, 35 years has gone by, and when I see my grandchildren climbing a tree or riding their bike, I'm going, oh, 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 they're going to be killed. My grandchildren are going to be killed. They're going to fall and crack their skull or just rip their bones to pieces. Why do you girls let them do this? I say, Dad, relax. They do it all day. They fall. Don't worry. I'm doing the same thing my mother did. What's wrong with me? That's what happens. You get all these fears. And I've learned now, don't even look. When they're doing their bike jumping, they do their right uh, jump. I just don't look. Don't look. God help them. <laughs> you can still have more children, don't worry. <laughs> doing the same thing. Oh. Fear of being put in a nursing home. Fear of being incapacitated. Fear of losing loved ones. Fear of not having enough financial resources. Fear of losing memory. I'll tell you, as you get older, fears grip you. They grip you. And that's why we have to... You ever hear this term? Trust the Lord. Nice, easy thing to say. There's a point at which you say, Lord, I cannot face all these fears. They're overwhelming to me. And pray about it, that the Lord would give you help. There's a beautiful, beautiful song. Uh, maybe, do you know it through it all? Let me just read this to you. It, it's a, it has such wonderful words. I've had many uh, tears and sorrows. I have questions for tomorrow. There have been times I didn't know right from wrong. But in every situation, God gave blessed consolation that my trials come to only make me strong. Chorus. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to depend on His Word. You know that song, Tom Yeson? Beautiful, beautiful song. I love to hear a, a quartet sing that song. Many fears will come upon you as you get older. You say, Lord, I, I cannot control all these things. Some of these things are hard to face, particularly if you're facing loss of memory or you're facing a nursing home. My father was petrified of a nursing home. And uh, he, fortunately, he did not have to go to a nursing home. And we told him, we'll take him into our home. We assured him that. And uh, you have to trust God. You have to look to the Lord. There's no other way or you'll just be overpowered by these things. Refusing to learn and grow. Refusing to learn. This is the most frustrating thing for me as I deal with our own seniors in our church. And we have plenty of seniors, upper seniors and lower seniors. They just refuse to learn. They will not read. They will not grow. And uh, they have just basically stopped. They're in a sort of a neutral gear. The only problem is there is no neutral gear. Because when you don't grow, you go backward. In fact... Luke 8 indicates that what you have, if you don't use, God will take away from you. And I've actually seen it with people. Keep abreast of the news and world news. Now, I, I meet many Christians. They don't want to see the news anymore. don't want to know what's going on in the world. Too many problems. Well, of course there's problems. But you know why we want to know what's going on in the news? Why we need to know what's going on in the world? There's a reason why. We're Great Commission Christians. Whatever is happening in the world is affecting our missionaries and affecting the gospel. It's all interrelated. So, you need to be abreast. You need to be updated. You don't need to check out of life. You'll check out of life when you die. But until then, we need to be praying for our missionaries. And we need to be praying. 1 Timothy chapter 2 is very clear. Pray for our leaders. Pray for those in authorities. It's a ministry that the church is to have. And we will not know till we get to heaven how much good has come as the prayers of the saints for our president and our leaders. Never stop learning. Be a consummate learner. Be fresh. Be alive. Don't be half alive. Some people are half alive. Or I like to say they're sleepwalking. They're just going through life sleepwalking. Don't be a sleepwalker. Be alive. Know what's going on. Ask lots of questions. Be interested. Be a sponge. That's the way you keep your mind active. And then you've got to be careful of a critical spirit. This often happens to older people. Everything's a problem. They don't like things. Did you ever hear the Grumbler song? Any of you ever hear the Grumbler song? I won't sing it to you, but I'll read it to you. Here's the Grumbler song. In town, in country, town, or city, some people can be found 
who spend their lives in grumbling at everything around. Oh, yes, they always grumble no matter what they say. But these are chronic grumblers. They grumble night and day. They grumble in the city. They grumble on the farm. They grumble at their neighbors. They think it's no harm. They grumble at their husbands. They grumble at their wives. They grumble at their children. But the grumbler never thrives. They grumble when it's raining. They grumble when it's dry. If the crop is failing, they grumble when it's high. They grumble all year round. They grumble till they die. Chorus. Oh, they grumble on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Grumble on Thursday, too. Grumble on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. They grumble the whole week through. Now, do you know what the Bible says is the answer to grumbling and complaining? You know what it is? Be thankful in all things. You want a positive attitude? Just listen to what the Bible says. Be thankful in all things. Be careful of falling into... Do you know what people grumble about the most? Do anyone know? The weather. That's the thing, the most popular thing to grumble about. Then they grumble about taxes. They grumble about this and that. Well, there's plenty to grumble about. But the Christian is to be thankful in all things. Check this out. How many times in the New Testament we're told to be thankful for all things? We should be a positive people. So when you get on the elevator, people go, oh, the rotten weather out there. How could it get to be 50 degrees? Just say, well, thankful it's sunny out. Oh, that food. They just, they don't serve food like they used to serve food. But you know, many people in the world don't even have food. Massive numbers of people, 10,000 children a day dying of malnutrition. We should be very thankful that we have food. Learn to turn grumbling around to something that Full of thanksgiving. In fact, really all day you should be thankful to God for what he gives you. For the house you have, for the car you have, the spouse you have, the job you have, the job you don't have. Be a thankful person. And it's contagious. It's contagious. Grumbling people, it's contagious. Backbiting people, it's contagious. And then I, I put an interesting note here. Alcohol abuse. Titus 2.3. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderous or slaves to much wine. You probably want to know, why didn't I put that in there about alcohol abuse? You want to know why? All right, I'll tell you this. I've only learned this in the last five or six years. Brothers who are probably 20 years my senior, okay, so they're ahead of me. The children have told me, and these were once top Christian men. Secret alcoholics. And here's what they're doing. These were at one time good men. And the children are really disturbed by their behavior. They get in their 80s. They're depressed. They don't have their work, which was their life. They're not serving others. Maybe a spouse has died. Maybe not. And at night they're drinking. And they're medicating their depression with alcohol. Now, this is a growing number of people that this is only become, I've only become aware of. I'm sure it's been there. But even the apostle says here, he says, older women, not slaves to wine. This can happen to women, too. It's a way of medicating ourselves and taking the depression away. It's a way of coping with the end of life. And I'm not useful anymore, which is not true. That's a lie. So you bought the lie. Now you're in real trouble. So... Be very, very careful that you do not try to cover depression, end-of-life issues with alcohol. You will actually make the end of life much worse, where you should be a shining testimony of rigor. You're a dud hiding with your bottle. And the children try to throw it out. Laziness. Oh, Proverbs considers laziness a moral issue. You have to be careful. And at heart, at heart, we are all lazy. At heart, we will take the easier road. We will take the elevator instead of the stairs. We'll sit rather than stand. We'll watch television rather than read or get on the phone and encourage other people. We will take the easy road. I want to warn you, it's a serious thing. Hebrews 5, 11 to 14. Hebrews 6, 12. One of the most serious warnings that the believers were no longer 
hearing the Word of God. They, they were not listening to the Word of God. Spiritual laziness. And so you've been saved 40 years and you're still a baby. You, you haven't even read through the whole Bible yet. I want to warn you that if you don't face laziness, it will take you over. And Proverbs is very clear about this, what will happen to your life. And many of the problems we have is because we're just lazy. So, accept that responsibility. Fill in in that place. Volunteer for something. Depression. Sometimes depression is uh, biochemical. You need a doctor. You need medication. Sometimes it's just a matter of facing end-of-life issues, which can be very, very depressing. And so I like what the psalmist says this. Psalm 143.5. This is a beautiful psalm. I dwell upon the years long past, upon the memories of all that thou hast done. Now let me read that again. I dwell upon the years long past, upon the memory of all that thou hast done. In other words, facing the end of life, the psalmist says, I, I reflect on all the beautiful things you've done for me. How you have cared for me all these years. That is encouraging. Sometimes, get your pictures out and look at the pictures of 30 years ago, 40 years ago, and remember where God has brought you from. And all these years, He's kept you safe and brought you to this point. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. You know, on my birthday, and I'll try to finish up here, I don't want to go too much longer. On my birthday, every year I do this. I take the day off. And I make it a day of praise. And I get my pictures out. And I've been keeping a record. This is really neat if you want to do this. I have a line record. So when I get home, Monday, I'll put on the line the date. And I was here with you in Texas. I've got this for my whole life. And I can pick any part of my life and go over the record of where I was, what I did. It's just short. It's not long. If it's something I need to put a little something more in there, I'll put it in there. And it is so precious to go over the 80s or the 90s or the 70s or the 60s and to look at what happened during those years, to look at our pictures. And I spend the day in spiritual reflection. I take walks, spiritual walks, where I'm out thanking the Lord. It's very encouraging, very encouraging. And that's what the psalmist said. I dwell upon the years long past, upon the memory of all that thou hast done. And you look back, and it, it almost takes the air out of you. Especially as you get older, and you go, I'm moving towards the last quarter of the game. There aren't a lot more candles on the birthday I can have. And to reflect on the goodness of God is encouraging. Now, it can be a trap. Memories can be a trap, and Ecclesiastes warns about saying the good old days. The good old days may not have been as good as you thought they were. So, it's a wonderful thing to think on your memories and what God has done in your life, but be careful, it falls into a trap if you do too much. Spurgeon said, a cake made of memories will do for a bit now and then, but it makes poor daily bread. Remember, there's only one direction God allows us to live, forward. He only allows you to drive the car through the front mirror, front mirror, the front windshield. You actually can't drive a car through the rearview mirror. Try it on one of the major highways. You won't get far. Now, let's close with this. Let's close with God does not forsake the aged. Listen to these beautiful, beautiful words from Scripture. Really, older people need to know these verses and know the, the verses on eternal life. They're so encouraging. Even to your old age, I am he. And to gray hair, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. I will carry and will save. Psalm 71, 9. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Many older people think they're worthless and they just need to die. That is a lie from the devil if there ever was one. Forsake me not. When my strength is spent. Psalm 37 verse 25. I have been young. And now I'm old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken. But listen to this. 2 Timothy 4.18. 2 Timothy 4.18. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed. 
and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. That's his job. That's not my job. That's his job. At the end of life, no matter what happens, his people, he'll see them safely to their heavenly kingdom. And Paul faced martyrdom shortly after this. I'm sure it wasn't very pleasant. But he said, no matter what the Romans do to me, they can kill me. He will see me safely to his heavenly kingdom. Beautiful story. Reminds me of Pilgrim's Progress crossing the Jordan. It's a little scary walking in the ri- that river Jordan. But then the celestial city on the other side, beyond comparison, the glory, beyond comparison. So, we have a great God. We have a great future. Let us live with great spiritual vigor and trust in God, serving right to the end. Make that a challenge. I'm going to serve right to the end. I'm going to be vigorous for God to the end. I'm going to be a prayer warrior. I'm going to encourage other people. I'm going to make phone calls. I'm going to be serving. I'm not going to leave a mess behind. I want people to honor my death. You know, at a funeral, the testimonies are very important to me. And you get to reflect on someone's life. And I've learned a lot about listening at funerals to the path people have lived and walked during life. And you go, that's the kind of life I want to live. You know, some people aren't even having funerals anymore. They just bury them. And nothing is said. I mean, that wasn't true years ago. It is true now. Your life should be a testimony. And the testimony should be told of how you live for God so others will hear and be challenged by it. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you that you do not desert us in old age. You are with us. Even when our strength is spent, you are there and you will see us safely to our heavenly kingdom. We are not alone. And you've given us glorious principles to live by. May we live by them and obey them. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.